thank you for tuning in to this week's Going Up, Going Down podcast, an EFL pod brought to you by The Athletic. And it's fair to say we are fairly excitable this week because football is back. As we know, the championship is back to finish its regular season this weekend. And that is our focus today. All in all, there will be 108 matches played behind closed doors across 33 days. We kick off on Saturday with Fulham against Brentford. I'm Ali Maxwell. George Ellick on the line with me. George, please tell me that you are as excited as I am about this. <laughs> I'm just terrified. I, I'm scared about how much football is on my plate for the next. It's like I've gone to a buffet and just taken way too much football than I can take and I don't know how I'm going to finish it all. It is remarkable. Just looking through the weekend's fixtures, there are so many narratives, so many twists and turns ahead of us. And I think a lot of people who maybe don't follow the championship look at the table and just assume that it's a done deal. We know who's going to be going up uh, in first and second. We know who's going to be going down. But I, I have a feeling those people may not have watched as much championship football as they should have done because it's never straightforward. It's never easy. And I have a feeling even by you know the time we get to three o'clock on Saturday, there'll already be lots of movement in those first three games. And uh, yeah, looking forward to watching as much as possible. Brentford Fulham at 12.30. West Brom Birmingham at three o'clock. You can watch that one as well. I've actually given... Hull City, a tenor, for the pleasure of watching their relegation game, their relegation six-pointer uh, against Charlton at Ali, they're, three they're, they're the one club that don't need it. You know, they, they got their <laughs> millions for Kamal Gosicki and Jared Bowen before the currency changed in football. So, you know, you're lining the pockets of the already rich. Well, I'm excited for all of it. And thankfully on the show today, uh, we have got six athletic writers joining us to give us their perspectives, to share their expertise uh, on all things championship football. Now, this pod from here on out is going to be a bit like speed dating. So let's get stuck in. Joining us to begin this deep dive into the championship as it returns this weekend is senior football writer for The Athletic, Stuart James, who wrote the scene-setting piece on the site, which really whet the appetite for things. Uh, Stuart, thank you so much for joining us on the pod. Pleasure, really nice to be on. Now, I think it's fair and obvious to say that George and I don't need any convincing as to why we should be excited about the return of the championship. But this is what you were writing about this week. And for anyone tuned in who's maybe on the fence, maybe thinking, oh, there's a lot of Premier League football. Can I fit the championship into my football life over the next few months? What's your best elevator pitch for why the return of the championship and the scenarios that we will discover uh, are really exciting? Quite simply, is everything to play for in that league. It's remarkable when you think there's 13 clubs still in with a chance of winning promotion. So you can actually go down into the bottom half with nine games to go. QPR, six points outside the playoffs, will still think they've got an, an opportunity to uh, to get into the top six. And then you've got another eight clubs fighting relegation. So it's only uh, three clubs in no man's land, I think. So it, it's, it's incredible in that respect. A lot of people will feel that West Brom and Leeds are almost there unless you're a West Brom and Leeds supporter, probably. Uh, so uh, they won't be taking anything for anything for granted. And I think you look at the, the first few games as some cracking fixtures early on, you know, Brentford taking on Fulham and then Leeds going to Cardiff and then they play Fulham the, the game after that. So, yeah, there's so much riding on these matches. Yeah, we can already see it's not going to be straightforward either, never mind being behind closed doors. There's probably going to be more players in the Championship who are taking that view that if they're out of contract, then... They don't want to play play on and we've seen that at a few of the relegation threatened clubs already at Charlton, at Middlesbrough and obviously yesterday at Hull as well. So and and it's a crazy league anyway, you know, that old 
saying anybody can beat anybody. It really is true in the championship. With the games being played behind closed doors uh, and with the three-month gap, which is unprecedented and you know not being able to train until very recently in terms of full contact training, there are so many questions and, and fans of clubs across the championship are wondering what each thing will mean. Who will playing behind closed doors benefit? Whose style of play will be best suited to this ridiculous scenario where we've had a three-month gap uh, and, and fitness may be compromised? I'm interested to know what you think is the most intriguing sort of coronavirus collateral question that can be asked uh, as we return. The crowds are fascinating because, yes, this is the second tier of English football, but but the the gates are amazing in the championship. There's there's ten clubs getting twenty thousand plus every week. And when I was writing the scene setter, I sort of tied myself in knots at times because you you look at things like home records. You look at Forest in in Bristol City, who've been actually really poor at home, and yet away they've been exceptional. Well, well, what does that mean now? You know, and, and turn it around the other way. Derby and Preston have been excellent at home in Charlton. They've really relied on their home form to 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 you know get the majority of their points. Does that have any relevance now? You know, it's essentially 11 v 11 in an empty stadium. So, you know, you've got the subs coming into it and it would be another factor, especially as some people believe that, you know, a, a really young team could, could be a real help at a time like this for two re reasons, really. One, for fitness, because it's such a congested schedule with, you know, the remaining nine games, 108 matches in total played in 33 days. So having a young squad could help. But also having a young squad could be interesting in another sense as well, because players inevitably at times will be a bit inhibited playing in front of big crowds. Well, suddenly that's out of the equation. Will they now go and play with a lot more freedom? And, and will, you know, will that will that benefit some of those clubs? So, yeah, that there are... Um, there are so many different factors to try and take into consideration. There's one uh, high stakes game down towards the bottom of the of, of the league between Charlton and Hull. And you mentioned in the piece how Lyle Taylor uh, has had a contract on June the 30th and he told Lee Bowyer that he wouldn't play for the club again. Uh, we've since seen as well that a fair few Hull players are either refusing to play or, or refusing to sign a new contract and therefore will also be unavailable going forward. And Malik Wilkes, who plays for Barnsley, said to be keen to stay at Hull on loan, but given the you know the competitive nature of those two teams towards the bottom end of the table, Barnsley seemingly saying that he'll be returning back to the club. Is there an issue? You know, clearly they're trying to make the season finish as simply as possible, but the you know the the problem with players effectively not refusing to play football in games for which they should be contracted. How is that sitting with those clubs towards the bottom end of the table? Because it doesn't seem particularly fair. Uh, I agree with you 100% on this. And this was during, you know, the many calls that all of us guys at The Athletic were making, you know, when um, when sort of, uh, we, you know, we were in uh, the early stages of lockdown and wondering whether football would come back. This was an issue that was raised by quite a few people that I spoke to in the Championship. The word integrity kept getting mentioned again and again and again. And people were really worried about that exact scenario you've just described. And, and that's what's happening now. I think I can say this and be, be honest. I, I'm a season ticket holder at Swansea. And, and I looked and I, I, Hull have got left to play. And I saw that three teams around Swansea who were pushing for the playoffs have all got to play Hull. And and I looked at those games and felt a bit annoyed, and I thought, well, they're almost like gimmies now. You know, they you know they've lost four players and they were on a bad run anyway, and that sort of doesn't sort of feel right to me. But then I also have to think, and I've smiled every time I've ended up writing this statistic that 
Hull had lost 10 out of 11. So they were on an awful run anyway. And the only game that they didn't lose during that time was against Swansea. So I can't, <laughs> that, that doesn't say an awful lot about Swansea in many ways. So when I look at Hull, what I'm trying to say is I think it's not good, that scenario at all. But we also have to see that they were on an absolutely awful run anyway. They'd taken one point out of 33. Yeah, it's not right, but maybe it doesn't drastically change the direction that we thought they were travelling in. But in terms of the other clubs, you know, I feel for Lee Bowyer, um, I think he's done a really good job at Charlton in such difficult circumstances. They've obviously only just dropped into the relegation zone, you know, just spent six days in there all season, basically, which was just before lockdown. So, as I said in the piece, you know, you, you, you have some sympathy for them and you can see why they were so determined to, to get football back. But he, he's had a really difficult situation on his hands in other respects as well, because he's had 15 players out of contract with loan players as well. So... You know, managing all of that is very hard. And yeah, you're spot on that there will be games played. And, and this was, I remember a, a, a chairman saying to me this quite early on. He said, you imagine a scenario, you're going for the playoffs on the final day of the season. You're playing against a club, you know, that is, ends up being a, as a normal tough game on paper. And one of your rivals for the playoffs is playing what should be, you know, a tough opponent, but actually ends up being almost an under 23 team mixed with a few pros. And we're going to see that. Um, I think that was just something that if, if we were so determined to get football back and the championship season completed, there was no way around this with the contractual position of players, you know, being, being out of contract 30th of June, those players. It's a big ask to expect someone then to go on and carry on playing. Now, I have spoken to agents who've, who've you know, one agent said to me, you know, I've said my players who are in that position, a number of them have come to me and said, what should I do? I'm worried about getting injured. And he said, hey, hang on a minute. You need to go and play to get yourself a move. He said, you know, if, if I haven't been coming to you with offers, you know, with people, with, with people saying, you know, I want to take him next season, he said, then that's a sure sign that you need to play football. And I think those players on free transfers this summer, yeah, the Lyle Taylors who are at the top end and would be not short of clubs, they're going to have options anyway. But there's going to be a lot of others who probably would have been fairly confident of getting a move but now won't be. And because of that, it's very difficult for them to take that stance that a few of the Hull players have because, you know, they effectively could be going to a club saying, well, I haven't played since March. Can you take me for September? And when we think the new season will start. So it's quite a dilemma that for the players as well. It's not straightforward, but certainly the, the bigger name championship players are out of contract that they're going to they're going to do what Ryan Fraser is going to do with Bournemouth, which is not carry on playing. Mm, interesting. So many questions, so many issues, so many potential narratives as well as, as the championship returns. And I think it's fair to say, after our chat with Stuart, that the scene is set. So it's time to dive in and really sort of take the temperature of various individual clubs across the championship, talking to the Athletics' dedicated writers for those clubs. But to start with, Stuart, thank you very much for giving us this overview. Uh, it, it's, it's clear that you are as excited and potentially intrigued is the right word, as intrigued about the return of this magnificent and crazy division as we are. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for joining us. Real pleasure. Thanks a lot, guys. First up, Phil Hay, who covers Leeds United for The Athletic. Leeds are top of the tree, 71 points, one point above West Bromwich Albion, seven points clear of third place and dangerously close to a return to the Premier League. Now, for us, Phil is just a magical person to be able to dial up because he is seriously the weather vane for all things Leeds United and their fans, at finger on the pulse, of course. So, Phil, really what I want to know is 
Nervous, uh, excited, terrified. Where are you at on the scale? They're itching for it round here. They they really are. Although I thought it was quite noticeable that when uh, the fixtures were released and when they were announced by the AFL and I tweeted them out in full, suddenly you just got that little buzz of tension amongst people and that little realisation that having sat for three months thinking, well, we're in a really nice position in the league and actually we're in great form before the lockdown and would be confident of finishing it off. Suddenly you do have to finish it off and, and that's the kind of mindset that, that everybody's into now. But I've I've found it really interesting at Leeds that they are obviously top of the league. As it stands, points per game would have sent them up as champions, assuming that there was no issue with, with relegation from the Premier League if seasons were curtailed. And it was almost an easy out for them. You know, there was no metric and no model under which they were going to finish lower than second. But they've never pushed for that and they've never argued for it. There are several reasons why not. One of them being that Marcelo Bielsa would never have tolerated that, I don't think. He, he would never have contemplated the idea of suggesting that the season finished early if it didn't need to. He was always on the side of the fence of we should play and we should, should complete 46 games. And of course, there, there were things like the, the prospect of, of a legal battle if um, Premier League clubs tried to, tried to contest relegation on the basis that the seasons hadn't finished. But there is the issue of legitimacy around here. And what I would call the fear of the asterisk, the fear that the season finishes on 37 games, leads go up, but in every record book and in every reference to this particular season, there's a footnote that explains why it didn't run to 46 games and essentially says that while Leeds won promotion, they, they didn't do it in the conventional manner and the players don't want that. I don't think they, they want that on their back because of the way it caved in last season and because of the way they, they really lost their nerve in the running and, and then again in the playoffs. They, they want to do it properly uh, and they want to be able to go out of this season saying that they did do it properly and they are I think deep down disappointed and and feeling a bit aggrieved that if they do win promotion they aren't going to have the day that they should have had you know in in a full stadium and the sort of scenes that you you get very rarely in Leeds but but equally they do want to say when it's done that that this was done in the right manner. I read your piece this morning uh, that's up on The Athletic now and it starts with which moment sums up Leeds United's 16-year stretch in the EFL And I'm not going to ruin it for people who haven't read it. And I implore anybody listening to go and read it now, because if you took out the names of players, managers and owners and you, and you know, you, you didn't know who it was, you could probably sell it as, as as a dream team script for the, for a next season. So extraordinary as all the happenings, uh, you know, that's happened in the last 16 years at Ellen Roads. How important is that history? How that backstory to Leeds United in terms of how high the stakes are to try and make sure that coming back to football this weekend, the job is done and finished. There are no, you know, no hangover from what happened at the back end of last season or under Gary Monk, none of this falling apart towards the end, just getting the job done. They do add to the stakes, the the, the various figures involved, the, the crises that you go through from pretty much 2004 onwards. It, it is all part of the, the fabric of this story and the, and the background to it. And it is why you have a, a, a fan base who have been starved of anything to, to chew on for, for so long. I mean, it leads, they're kind of forced to see promotion from League One as a carrot dangled in front of them when the club have never been in League One and, and given all you know about them, should never have been in League One if, if they've been properly managed. Things like the, the occasional cup tie win at, at Manchester United 2010, it was a, it was a huge moment and it, it was a big day, but it is in the grand scheme 
insignificant in comparison to the the bigger things that Leeds have done over the course of a hundred years. The, the league titles under Revy and, and Wilkinson, the, the European success um, under under O'Leary, and and also going back to the the Revy era, and and it has been barren. Um, it's been barren for a long time, and I think more than barren. At points, it's been extremely humiliating. I mentioned in that piece that. I remember the crowds, league crowds dropping to 16,000 in 2006 because the disillusionment and the aligned with the cost of very, very expensive season tickets under Ken Bates meant that people just didn't have the appetite for it. People people just didn't feel like it was somewhere that they wanted to be. And, and that's the one thing that Radrazani over time, but more specifically Bielsa over the last couple of years has, has managed to do, is to completely re-engage the city. I mean, you, you cannot get a ticket at Ellen Road easily these days. The, the games are sold out. Season tickets are up to the, the cap limit of around about 23,000. Um, it's the only only show in town, which it should be for a for a one club one club city. But but equally there are more immediate concerns as well. Anybody who followed the accounts, the latest accounts in the club will know that they, they lost twenty one million pounds um in the last financial year, Bielsa's first year as manager. That's been covered by Radrazani via loans, um something that he's said he's he's not going to do indefinitely, um certainly not at, at this level. Um come this summer if they aren't promoted, I think Big, big question marks over Bielsa's future and the future of other key players, Calvin Phillips being the, the main one who, who I think would certainly leave if he was looking at another season in this division as as opposed to the Premier League. So it's crucial in a lot of senses. It, it is a, a very, very key critical moment. And, and I suspect the players know themselves that having missed that opportunity last season, if they don't get there this time round, the odds say that it won't come again for them. Promotion is huge anywhere and you know it's it's significant wherever you play. But when you you're at a club of of this size who've been out of the, the Premier League for 16 years and who have been desperate for this for, for so, so long. Outside of the Premier League and outside of the biggest prizes going, there isn't much else to compete with it. Such a lovely turn of phrase in your piece saying, then came Marcelo Bielsa, a guardian angel flying into purgatory, which sums it up so well. But you say how the, his future, if Leeds fail to get promoted, will be in doubt. Given his knack for the unpredictable, let's say, and the concerns at the club at the end of last season as to whether or not he would be managing this campaign. Are there any worries whatsoever that he wouldn't stay in charge if Leeds do get promoted or if Leeds are a Premier League side next season, will be able to be back on his bucket? I'm certain that he will be. I've, I've spoken to people at the club. I've spoken to people close to Bielsa, and and everybody says that you know all things being equal, he they, he will absolutely extend his contract, and and he'll be here for at least one season in the Premier League. I think the only caveat there is that um, Bielsa can be quite demanding, and not not so much in terms of transfers, but in in terms of what he expects from the infrastructure at the club, the organisation at the club, the the support he has in in certain areas. So as was the case last summer, that there will need to be a meeting of minds in in certain areas in order for them to shake hands. But I'm certain that that would happen, and. I cannot, as, as eccentric as he can be and as unique and as unusual a personality as he is, I cannot imagine him going through two years of this to get Leeds promoted, finally doing it and then deciding that, that he didn't want to tussle on the touchline with Klopp and, and Guardiola and, and everybody else at that level. It, it it A lot of people were surprised that he came to the Championship in the first place. As much as you can see why he's not easy to manage, he's not necessarily always easy to work with, it, it surprises me that, that football hasn't taken him to a more elite level than he's been at. He's been at big clubs in Marseille and um, Athletic Bilbao and at that you know that two-day stint at Lazio, which went nowhere, and, and Leo, which was very, very short-lived. But you're not talking about the, the very, very top bracket there. And, and it's almost a contradiction. You have people like 
Pochettino and Guardiola who speak about Bielsa as the, the, the best coach in the world, the best coach they've ever dealt with. And yet none of the best clubs in the world have, have ever taken that attitude. But his impact at Leeds has been absolutely phenomenal. And if they do go on to get promoted, it really would go down as the biggest appointment, the, the most key appointment of a signing, I think, of a player or a manager since Howard Wilkinson. Potentially, you'd have to say since Gordon Strachan, who Wilkinson brought in shortly after um, he became became manager. But I don't think anybody else in that time, and, and I include O'Leary in this, has, has managed to have the same coaching impact on a set of players as Bielsa has. And to re-engage the City in a division that the City are, are thoroughly sick of, you know, playing the same teams going to the same grounds year after year. This is 10 seasons on the bounce in the Championship. To re-engage them in the way that he has is solely down to his football. It's down to the way he coaches the team, the way he wants to play and the way in which the crowd relate to the w- the way the team do play. Um, it's been it's been an absolute treat, and and in championship terms, we've all been spoiled for two years. Well, Phil, thank you very much for joining us today. If we know anything with Leeds United, it's never easy, but it's looking like it could be wrapped up in the next few weeks. Fingers crossed. You mentioned, you know, Marcelo Bielsa will surely want to be on Premier League touchlines. Hopefully, pretty soon, Phil, you'll be in Premier League press boxes across the land as well. So, fingers crossed for you for that reason. And you know, your as ever, your writing on Leeds United absolutely essential for anybody following the Championship. Thanks very much, guys. Next up is Steve Maidley, thrilled to be joined by the West Bromwich Albion writer for The Athletic. And Steve may well be covering a team in the Premier League next season. West Brom uh, at the return point of football, second in the table with a six-point gap over third place for Fulham and one point behind leaders Leeds United. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. No problem. So, first game up. Steve, for West Brom, is a West Midlands derby at home against Birmingham. You know, it's a massive game normally, but given what's at stake here, given that a win would put West Brom within touching distance of the Premier League, I mean, how does this rank for you in terms of of big games that the club have had in recent years? Well, as you say, it's it's, it's a huge game. I mean, West Brom Birmingham is isn't traditionally the, the biggest of West Midlands derbies, but on the but on this occasion, on this occasion, like you say, because because of what's on the game. West Brom are, are going to be conscious that, Ful- that, that, that Fulham and Brentford play each other in the, uh, early, the early game on, on Saturday, so at least one of them is, is going to drop points. West Brom know that these first few games back, particularly the first one, are huge. They can almost put themselves out, out of reach w- within a couple of weeks of the restart if, th- if things go well. But typically, with the way football fans think, and we're, I think we're all the same, I'm sensing a few nerves among West Brom fans purely because they're going back into this this restart with kind of everything to lose. That six point gap looks really comfortable, but we all kind of we've all kind of seen tales of Leeds Leeds being squandered. Yeah, I mean, your colleague Stuart James has written an article about the return of Championship football, and it starts with Leeds United and West Brom are as good as up <laughs> for those of us who followed this league for a while and having a look at the table you mentioned the early game which is Fulham against Brentford which is, takes place you know before uh, the West Brom game if, if Fulham win that game they go within three points of, of West Brom which would put the pressure pretty quickly back on Slavin Bilic's side I mean how confident are the club Slavin Bilic the fans feeling at the moment that you know, people are assuming it's already done, but how, how confident are they that they can reach their goal? They're confident within the the, the boundaries of the natural pessimism and and, ca- and caution of football fans and football people. That, like I say, they they know they've got the six point gap. They know that it's 
that it's theirs to lose. They know that Fulham are, play, are playing Brentford, and they know that really, if, if you take the derby element out of it, and, and which m- may not really have too much impact, given given that there's going to be no fans in the in the stadium, they probably they probably couldn't have handpicked a better fixture to return with, given that Birmingham have clearly got their own financial problems. They're already talking about releasing players. I believe they've they've already announced that they're going to release certain players. You you would think that. If any, if any club in the division is going to go into into, into this restart without, without maximum motivation, then Birmingham would be one of those clubs. So everything is kind of in West Brom's favour. Logic tells you that Stu's intro in, in, in that piece is spot on, that it really is in West Brom and Leeds, Leeds' hands. You wrote a piece that went live about five days ago, um, and you mentioned the depth of the squad. It was Pereira in, Barry out, the players that will still be at West Brom next season. And reading it, it became you know, obvious to me, although it's something I obviously knew, it became obvious to me how reliant West Brom have been this season on loan players, especially in terms of, of an attacking force. Matthias Pereira, we've spoken about so many times, one of the best players in the championship. Grady Diangana on loan from West Ham, so good when fit. Uh, Callum Robinson, who came in halfway through the season and made a big impact. Filip Kravinovic as well, another player who's really, really impressed, a flair player going forward. Has this... This pause, this couple of months in the middle of the season, given the club an opportunity to try and tie up those players going into next season, irrespective of what league West Brom are going to be in. In a strange way, it's probably it's probably worked, worked the other way. That Pereira, when when football was halted, Pereira looked to all intents and purposes like a, per, a permanent West Brom player, and that I'm, I'm not here to alarm West Brom fans. I think that that will almost certainly st- still be the case. The deal is done. The personal terms are agreed. But West Brom have asked Sporting Lisbon to delay the um, the activation of, of that permanent deal and the payment, the the initial payment, which obviously just just creates a slight element element of, of doubt there about Pereira's future. But I still I still think that Pereira is as good as good as a permanent permanent West Brom player, which which will obviously be music to everyone's ears. Dean Garner, I, I always felt that the the chances of a permanent of a permanent deal for him were were pretty slim. He's obviously high, highly rated at West Ham. He's young. He's in, he's England qualified. He's qualified as, as homegrown. I just think the fee for for a permanent deal there would would just be too much. I think West Brom's best hope with with him would be if West Ham stay up and strengthen themselves in that area. That then maybe West Brom might look at, at another season long loan for for Dean Garner. So yeah, I think. Not, not a lot has, has changed really, really over this period. Other than West Brom, like all clubs, will be having a really, a really close eye on the on the finances, and they're not going to be as healthy as as they were three months ago. They're still, even after after this turmoil, in a healthy, healthy position than most. Well, Steve, hopefully for your sake, it's not a very dramatic end to the season. I think from a neutral's point of view, I'm kind of hoping there are a few twists and turns along the way, but I will be sure to be following everything going on at the Hawthorns by reading your articles on The Athletic. Fingers crossed for you that it's all going to be plain sailing. Any, anything that those people who maybe haven't seen much of West Brom this season should look out for? Well, Matthias Pereira, you've, men- you've mentioned him, is you know, one of the best players the, champ- the Championship's seen in the, in the last few seasons in terms of easy on the eye. I mean, he's, a, he's a great footballer. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely desperate to watch the game uh, on Saturday afternoon. Cannot wait, Steve. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. Harry's sponsors Going Up, Going Down, which is a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced raises. Jeff and Andy knew there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. 
And, and now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close and comfortable shave. A weighted ergonomic handle, five precision-engineered blades, a rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. Now, as a listener of Going Up, Going Down, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for just £3.95. Support this podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel, and travel blade cover, by going to harrys.com forward slash going up right now. That's harrys.com forward slash going up. Delighted now to be joined by the Athletics Sheffield Wednesday writer who we had on the podcast about three months ago. Feels like a lifetime ago. It is, of course, Nancy Frostick. Thank you very much for joining us again, Nancy. That's all right. Thanks for having me. Heading into lockdown, heading into this football hiatus, it felt like something close to a crisis club, certainly compared to its championship rivals, because... The form since Boxing Day had been really poor. Just two wins, three draws and and nine defeats, including five defeats at home. And of course, what we spoke to you about all those months ago, the still impending threat or possibility of sanctions from the EFL hanging over the club as well, which could put them into a really difficult position in terms of the league table and also um, cause more trouble off the pitch. So the big question from the outside is... Do you think that is still the case or do you think this hiatus has helped the club maybe move back onto something of an even keel? It's a strange one because most clubs will probably have um, hated this interruption in football in terms to kind of any momentum they've built up. But I actually think it's probably been a good thing for Wednesday to stop the rot. It was really getting away from them at at that point. I think, you know, before lockdown, the the last result was a 5-0 defeat to Brentford. They'd lost 3-0 to Reading, 5-0 to Blackburn. So, you know, they were leaking a, a lot of goals and, and the confidence just really was far away from, from what we'd seen in the first half of this season where it looked like they could be pushing at the other end of the table. I think they were third just before Christmas and, and had a really impressive result against Forest, who have obviously probably done the, the reverse and, and really kicked on since that time. This time away will probably have done them some good just to put that period to bed and then they can just almost reset and go again for these next nine games obviously that all comes with the looming EFL (laughs) charge which is still there more so with Sheffield Wednesday than any other team we do have to talk about that caveat that asterisk if you will Um, potential dark cloud hanging over the club in terms of the EFL sanction could you just fill us in on on what the latest is from what we understand it and I feel like I have said this for the last few months but it is supposed to be soon and it is supposed to be imminent and there is talk of it being this month and I think from all sides it would probably make sense if they can get this concluded before the end of the season we ran a story a few weeks ago of talking to you know CEOs and, and the owners at at Luton and Barnsley and obviously for those clubs that are threatened with relegation at the moment if these charges are upheld against Wednesday and then they get points deducted or whatever and it happens after the season's concluded then you know you can probably see why they're going to be pretty miffed about that you know if they go down and and there's all these various connotations so 
There is reason for Wednesday to be optimistic in terms of the case itself. The owner and and a few of the other officials, the former chief executive and their finance director, um, have all had individual charges dropped against them. So they'll take encouragement from that. I don't know specifically how much bearing that will have on obviously what happens in the room and in the discussion with the EFL. But, you know, that is a positive for them to move forward with. What can you tell us about the way that Gary Monk and his staff have have managed this squad over the last few months? Clubs having to to get fairly creative and think pretty hard about the very nature of sort of man management and motivation at this time. And they headed into the lockdown on on poor form. How has Gary Monk and and his staff gone about uh, sort of knitting this Sheffield Wednesday side back together and growing their confidence during this time? Much like a lot of the other clubs, you know, initially there was that time when everyone was at home and they were, you know, having to do workouts at home as best they could. And from a physical point of view, you know, they all had um, personal training plans and they all had watches that measured their heart rate and and all these various techie things that mean that... um, you know, the sports science guys are really on top of it. But since they've come back to training, I think that's probably helped a lot more. We spoke to Gary a few times in the last couple of weeks. And although I think he possibly feels it was a little too soon, um, you know, he would have liked more training before the games came back just from the players' health and time to bond the, the team again. It probably has been a massive boost just to have them back at the training ground. And you can see from photos inside training, they're pushing them hard and they all seem pretty happy to be back and one of the most intriguing player situations would you say within Sheffield Wednesday at the moment who are the players in and around the first team that are potentially out of contract playing for their futures what are the sort of juiciest scenarios at the moment Wednesday are kind of juicy all over because they've got uh, eight out of contract so I mean there's some big decisions to be made in in the next four or five days I think there's a cut off um, on the 23rd of June for the um for the extensions beyond uh, to the end of the season. So amongst those players, you've got Fernando Forestieri, who's obviously you know, probably been one of the most exciting players in Wednesday's squad for a number of years and, and really has been you know, a top talent in the championship. But he's slightly been limited by suspensions or injuries in the last couple of seasons. His future probably is in the balance because he's um, one of Wednesday's top earners. So it's kind of weighing up those pros and cons. Um, also in there, Sam Hutchinson and Stephen Fletcher, also core members of, of Wednesday's squad over the last four or five years. Um, and also Morgan Fox at left back, who really has come on leaps and bounds this season and has really cemented his place in the first team and may be able to, to land a move elsewhere if Wednesday can't tie him down so um, there's a lot to work on there for the club well we're very grateful to you for giving us an overview on all things Sheffield Wednesday as the championship returns Nancy Frostick thank you for for the work that you do covering Sheffield Wednesday for the Athletic and, and thank you so much for joining us on the pod today thanks guys Next up on the conveyor belt of the Athletic Championship writers is Paul Taylor. Now, Paul covers Nottingham Forest. Forest in a very intriguing position, fifth spot. They are 10 points behind West Bromwich Albion. They are five points above seventh spot, so they have a little bit of a buffer in the playoffs. So quite an, quite an interesting time to have taken uh, three months off, especially after a fairly poor run of form uh, before then. Paul, we're very grateful for your time. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, no problem at all. Good to talk to you. <laughs> it's nice to talk um, football again. It absolutely is. That's what we're finding this morning as well. Can't wait to watch some over the weekend. Um, as Ali touched on there, the, the game before football finished was a 3-0 defeat against Millwall. 
Um, it was at the end of a run of form, which wasn't necessarily Sabri Lamucci's side's best in the season so far. Just one win in six. Is it fair to say that maybe this break came? Uh, it's, I mean, not at a perfect time because because of what's going on, but it's given Forrest a little bit of time to reflect and to try and improve going into the end of the season. Yeah, the, the run of form they were on wasn't wasn't perfect by any means. I mean, they had two particularly bad results during that. They lost to Charlton. And obviously got hammered by Millwall in a result that nobody really saw coming. But other than that, there they, they, they were some reasonable results within that. They got a draw at West Brom. They won at Cardiff. A decent points at Middlesbrough. But but you're right. It, it felt in the moment that football came to an end for those those few months. Forest were on a bit of a a downward a downward spiral in terms of that result against Millwall. So you, you hope they've kind of collected their thoughts a little bit and and that they can come back with a. A positive result against the Sheffield Wednesday side that absolutely battered them at the city ground earlier in the season. So there's hopefully a bit of revenge in mind there. Is that on the horizon? I mean, Sheffield Wednesday obviously were a side who were really struggling uh, back mm. in March. Is there a feeling going into this game that there's a bit of unfinished business here and, and, and the players and Sabri Lamucci want to get their own back? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've, I've spoke to a couple of the players in the last few days and both of them, I mean, both the, the two I spoke to recently and Michael Dawson and Sammy Amiobi both mentioned that they they want to go to Sheffield Wednesday and uh, get a bit of retribution, if you like. But I think the, the bottom line is that Forest, realistically, they haven't really got a chance of getting in the top two unless they do something remarkable. So they know that they've probably got to go and win the next three or four games to put any kind of pressure at all on the, on the teams above them. And uh, I think it will very much be their aim to do that. I don't think they're going to go to Sheffield Wednesday looking to get a point or to you know just come away with something. I think they're going to go there all guns blazing and try and try and extend their, their good away form. They've still got the best, the third best away form in the division. So they'll, they'll go to Sheffield Wednesday, despite having lost there on the last four visits, I think. They'll, they'll go there feeling pretty, pretty confident, as daft as that sounds, when they're coming up against a team that's just hammered them and, <laughs> and where they never win. I read your piece this morning, football's back, Forest need composure for best hope of promotion in a decade. And reading it, you know, you forget as a fan just how long it's been since Forrest have been in the top flight and the playoff heartache that's come alongside. You, you ha- I mean, I, I, you know, there's been the, the list of teams, Sheffield United, Yeovil and Blackpool, all progressing to the final at Forrest's expense. You mentioned whatever happened, it's been the most positive, encouraging season since Billy Davis, guide, Billy Davis guided Forrest to a third place finish in 2010. How do you see this team in comparison to that 2010 side of Davis's? The two men are very, very different characters, Sabri Lamucci and, and, and Billy Davis. Billy used to promote togetherness and, and unity through quite an abrasive approach. He, he, he wanted it to be them against the world. You know, he, he, he promoted this idea that nobody liked Forrest, that the press were against them, that, that, that it was just the team and him against everybody else. And it, it did develop a great team spirit. The players all loved him. They all played for him. He was a very astute tactician. Sabri Lamucci is very different, but he achieves the same things. There's, there's now a, a similar sense of, uh, of togetherness and unity. The dressing room's very united, uh, but he does it in a very different manner. He's, he's a communicator. He talks. He, he always talks to his players, tells them what he wants. He's very clear in his, his, his goals and how he wants to get there. The end result is still a team that is together, that's unified and very tactically astute. They're, they're, they're away from this season is is good for a reason. It's because they're set up well to to play away from home, to hit teams on the counter-attack, soak up pressure. Uh, and it, it's worked so far and you just want them to be able to pick up where they left off away from home, if you like. And 
and go out there and, and do it again. In terms of Forest and the very well coached system that they play under Sabri Lamucci, how do you think that will help or hinder them in this behind closed doors post three month off period? Forest aren't going to change. They haven't changed all season. Uh, they, they play the same way no matter what, regardless of the opposition. They do things the Lamucci way and, and try and stamp their influence on the game. And it's worked brilliantly well for them away from home in, in performances like you know the one at Fulham, the West Brom performance more recently. They'll go there and try and do the same thing. But I think the, the, the interesting dynamic is going to be how they react on a human level. Uh, will, will the players cope with playing in front of an empty Hillsborough stadium. I mean, I, I, it's so hard to predict. And, and how, how do they motivate themselves during the game? Are they going to need three or four players to be cajoling them on all the time? It, it's, it, it's a tough one. Is there a confidence at the club that, that they will be able to get into that top six? Or is there still a niggling uncertainty, I guess, that you know it's not all wrapped up yet? I think there is still the confidence there that they can do it, yeah. I, th- I think there's, there's such a level of belief and, and, and togetherness in this dressing room that they think... The, the players constantly have these little meetings where they talk to each other about this being an opportunity that they don't want to miss. Players like Michael Dawson and Ben Watson, Lewis Graben, they get the players together and say, look, lads, you, you might not have the experience that we've got, but we, we know we've been in this position before and we know that these opportunities don't come around very often. Let's Let's make sure that if we do miss out, it's not because we've not left everything out there on the pitch. So I don't think they're short of drive or confidence or motivation. Well, fingers crossed if and when they do get into the playoffs, Paul, you'll join us in a few weeks' time and you can tell us about Nottingham Forest's recent history with the playoffs in a bit more detail because <laughs> it hasn't been a particularly happy story. No, let's hope that's one history that changes this time around, that's <laughs> for sure. Let's go to an empty Wembley. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you very much for joining us today, Paul. All your stuff on Nottingham Forest is always enlightening. And, you know, I'm I'm expecting there to be a few twists and turns along the way, (laughs) even if uh, they have that little bit of comfort over the uh, internal play opposition at the moment. But thanks for joining us and hope to speak to you again soon. Thanks, guys. All the best. Hello, I'm James Richardson, host of the Totally Football Show, now part of the Athletics Podcast Network. We're going to be here following all the action as the 2020 football season reaches its belated conclusion. And if you're an Athletics subscriber, you can now hear exclusive ad-free versions of our show on the Athletic app. And don't worry, if you're not a subscriber, you can still listen to us for free with the occasional word from our sponsor by searching for The Totally Football Show on Apple, Spotify and all the usual podcast places. The Totally Football Show with me, James Richardson, still totally free and now totally ad-free on The Athletic. Delighted now to be joined by Derby County writer for The Athletic, Ryan Conway. Ryan, fair to say that your first season covering Derby for The Athletic has been pretty plain sailing. Not much of interest has happened, really. (laughs) Oh, man, this club is wild. This club is so wild. Um, But yeah, I I thank it because, you know, I'm I'm never struggling for content. So that's that's always uh, that's always good fun. Well, yeah, your your staff on site all season has veered from uh, on-pitch joy and struggles, plenty of off-pitch issues as well. And look, we're looking at the the final nine games of the season here, and I reckon in terms of potential outcomes, Derby are in a a pretty unique position. It's absolutely insane what they could, where they could end up or or what they could achieve. So, you know, they're five points off the, the playoffs. They're 12 points off the the bottom three with this sort of EFL charge 
precariously hanging over them, threatening to, to drop at, at any time now. Now we've seen, uh, I believe Birmingham heard, you know, their sort of final result, as it were, of, of their charge. So Sheffield Wednesday and, and Derby seem to be the next ones up. If they get charged, and I should say for the record that Derby have remained that they are innocent in, in this and that the EFL ratified the sale of Pride Park um, and the EFL warned Derby over their player amortisation system, which was weird and would need a whole pod to itself. If they get a charge and a points deduction, well, then they're, they're plunged into this sort of relegation battle. And you look at the remaining fixtures, well, they only won one of those in the reverse, in the reverse fixture. Sorry, two of those, pardon me, two of those in the reverse fixture. But then conversely, they're five points off the playoffs. Seven of the final nine are against teams above them. You know, they've got Wayne Rooney now, which they didn't have for any of these reverse fixtures. Max Bird has, has emerged and the team is playing very, very well. You know, they, they've gone with Chris Martin up, up front and he seems to have, have stabilised a lot of their striking woes. There, there is every chance that they could put a run together. They, they've got an absolutely brutal week between July 4th and July 11th when they've got Nottingham Forest at home, West Brom away, Renford at home. I mean, you know, they've got to first get to that week in, in good shape. They could be within touching distance by the time they get to that week and have all playoff hopes smashed to smithereens by the time they end that week. County have been in good form since the beginning of 2020, or rather they were in good form pre-lockdown. Now, we are pretty sure that we shouldn't extrapolate form pre-lockdown into what we expect to happen necessarily. But two things that coincided with the beginning of their good form was the arrival of Wayne Rooney, of course, and the arrival into the first team anyway of Max Bird, who you've touched on there. Uh, You wrote about Max Bird this week, 15 years between him and Wayne Rooney, but they've dovetailed brilliantly onto the pitch. It it feels like for someone who who hasn't been following Derby as closely as yourself, tuning into a Derby game in the next few weeks, it's kind of like come for Wayne Rooney and and stay for Max Bird. (laughs) Very much so, yeah. Even we as as a collective sort of get sucked into this this, oh, Wayne Rooney is still so technically brilliant and he's wonderful and look at how, what he's doing for, for Derby. And to a point, that is very true. But, but there have been times when that's been pretty poor for Derby. Um, and, and, other, and other players like Max Bird, like Tom Lawrence, have had to pick up his slacker a little bit. There was a game, once away in the second half, you, Rooney was brilliant. But the first half, he was, he was pretty dreadful, if we're honest. There was not much going for him. But he still does, he still does have, you know, what made him Wayne Rooney. So um, it was probably only a matter of, of time. Max Bird, I love him. Sorry, Max, if you're listening to this. <laughs> but he's, he's, just, he's, just a, he's just a really cultured footballer. And I think he's destined to have a career that goes wildly underappreciated, kind of like Michael Carrick, who he lists as one of his admirers. And, and a lot of his game reminds me of, of Carrick, very metronomic and will you know, just keeps the tempo going, just keeps the rhythm going, has a brilliant range of, of, of passing and in a system that, that Koku sets up whereby, you know, the ball is, is everything and he's one of the most valuable players that you can that you can have. And he's part of a, a young core that yeah, developed at Derby, formed the the nucleus of an exceptionally successful youth team uh, that took Derby County's under-18s into Europe this season. And we started to see a few of them emerge towards the end of the season, Bird being one of them. In fact, the last game 
in the championship before lockdown was Derby's 3-0 win against Blackburn. We saw Louis Sibley, who's always been touted as, as potentially the best of the lot, score a, a rocket in that game. Do you expect, while we will see Wayne Rooney and some older heads like Tom Huddleston and, and potentially Curtis Davis, are we looking at this young group of, of Derby graduates to form the nucleus of, of this side, both for the rest of this season and heading into the next season. This is an exciting young nucleus of, of talent and it's something that will be heavily used going forward. Yeah, for, for a side sat literally in the middle of the table, there is still so much intrigue. One of the most intriguing teams, I think, in the championship at the moment, uh, both in terms of what could happen in the final nine games uh, in, in a good way or a bad way, but also how the club moves forward in the next few months. So thank you to Ryan for joining us. Cannot wait to read you writing about actual football matches again uh, and breaking down some of these young talents and the old heads as well, your Roonies and your Huddleston spraying passes from the base of midfield. Thank you, Ryan, for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. <laughs> That's it for this week. Hopefully your appetite for championship preview content is sated. We've heard from clubs at the top, in the middle, towards the bottom of this magnificent uh, football division. The idea of an Abere as a nutmeg, the prospect of a Matias Pereira threaded through ball is getting closer and closer. Yeah, and thank you very much to all of the writers who joined us today, giving some colour around the beginning of the, well, the restart, I should say, of the championship starting this weekend. You can read all of their stuff, and I recommend that you do so as well. So much content, written content, audio content being produced by The Athletic around the uh, return of football. We'll be back next week as well on the Going Up, Going Down podcast, so please do join us then. We'll know our League Two playoff finalists by then, and we'll be able to look back at whatever happens in the championship this weekend. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode fresh. Remember that all Athletic podcasts are free on all pod platforms and they're also available ad-free on the Athletic site. So get subscribed today and join us next week on the Going Up, Going Down podcast. Oh,